Hi folks, welcome back to another Soul Driven Interview. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Adelina East. She is an incredible woman, healer, light in this world, and I know that you are so going to enjoy hearing more about her story and what she is doing in this world, what she has to provide all of us. So a little bit about her background. She is an international lecturer, educator, mental health expert, healer, and multidimensional mentor who works with a global clientele to recover from trauma and bring forth inner guidance. The founder of Transformational Healing, Adelina draws upon her neuroscience and counseling backgrounds, as well as her spiritual gifts to lead others through a spirit-driven process to retrain their brains and reawaken their bodies. Adelina's decade-long career with several humanitarian aid organizations brought her to serve thousands of people in eight countries, overcome trauma, and welcome innate wisdom to heal. Driven by her conviction that anything can be healed, Adelina works with clients to recircuit the neural pathways through the brain using channeled light and key codes from sound harmonics. In addition to offering online classes, channeled tones for healing, and hosting teleclasses, Adelina travels as a guest speaker and consultant, bringing transformational healing to where it is most needed. Adelina works with those who would like to use both neuroscience and connection to spirit to heal and welcome in spiritual gifts. Enjoy the interview. I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Soul Driven Podcast. I believe that when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. If you are searching for meaning and purpose, if you are unsure about how to combine the spiritual with the everyday, if you are ready to uncover who you truly are, then you've come to the right place. The Soul Driven Podcast is dedicated to exploring the intersection of living a soulful and spiritual life in a driven and ambitious world. Join me for practical guidance, truthful discussions, and interviews with people who are successfully living a soul-driven life. My name is Anna Hendricks, and I'm your host. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us for another soul-driven interview. These interviews are with people from all walks of life who have discovered their true purpose and are living it out every day. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Adelina East, a mental health expert and healer and the founder of Transformational Healing. She works with a global clientele to recover from trauma and bring forth inner guidance. A few months ago, while I was researching for my podcast, I came across Adelina's podcast, Light Beings and Way Showers, and and was instantly hooked. Her episodes provide a brief message and activation from her guides that lasts about 15 to 20 minutes. And it wasn't long before I was checking out her offerings and signed up for her Divine Guiding Light class, which lasted about five weeks and was just wrapped up pretty recently. So I was pretty excited, or I should say very excited, when she agreed to sit down with us for a conversation. She has a lot of wisdom to share, and I know you are going to love her. Welcome to the show, Adelina. Such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yay! We got Yay. the three. There's always, there's something about your name. I always want to say Adelina West. <laughs> I don't know why, but it always, like, I don't know if you caught it both times when I was doing the intro. <laughs> I thought it sounded great. 
Well, I always want to say West. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Um, so we have so much to dive into tonight that we're just going to go ahead and get started. The first question that I ask all of my guests, what makes you soul driven? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would say that there actually is no other choice for me. I lived an entire lifetime. I feel like I've lived many lifetimes in just this one lifetime. I'm only 41 and I'm still learning, but I know that when I was living out of alignment with my soul and what my soul was telling me I needed and the things that I needed to do, I just became so desperately ill and was really confined to bed for a number of years. And it was only through tapping back into my soul and listening to what my soul was telling me I needed that I started to begin to heal. It's a way of life. It really is. It's a daily practice. Yeah. My last yeah. guest, um, Neil, he's, he's, a also a healer. Um, but that's, it's, that was similar to his, to his answer as well, just in regards to like, there's just no other way to be than to yeah. live, you know, from your soul. I agree completely. And I think that a lot of the, I mean, we'll talk about all of this stuff throughout the podcast, but I think that a lot of the mental health issues that people are facing now are actually just being out of alignment with their souls and they receive all of these diagnoses and they start taking all these medications. And actually if they were able to block out the outside noise, which I know is incredibly difficult, no shade on people who are not doing that, by the way, but if they were able to do so, they would be able to get more in touch with their soul and just follow what their soul is telling them to do. And I think that is the greatest healing anybody can ever experience. Of course, I, I have no shade on medications. I think they're really helpful and really useful. But what I've found in my practice anyway is that a lot of those things and a lot of the misery and anxiety that people feel can actually be obliterated by living from their soul and just following their soul's compass. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you um, follow Jim Carrey online on Instagram or, or ever had, he's, no, he's incredibly, <laughs> he's incredibly spiritual these days. Okay. And he shared this beautiful quote. Um, I'm going to probably not get it right, but he said, depression and anxiety is your avatar like being tired of playing a role it wasn't meant to play yeah. and totally paraphrasing that um but That's I shared beautiful. that quote was just like this is so powerful because it's yeah. very true it really is completely aligned with what you're saying so we have a lot of things to talk about, but of course I love the journey and I think the journey is so important to discuss because so many of us are still on it, like we just talked about, um, lost and figuring out our way. So I'd like to kind of jump back a little bit with you. You have a very unique background in that you grew up learning about healing from your Native American grandmother. Um, she was a third generational healer, medicine woman, and spiritual medium which is just amazing to me. Can you share with us what that was like for you? Sure. Um, she actually doesn't love it when I talk about her in interviews. <laughs> She's heard a lot of them. Sorry, Grandma, I love you. Um, she is an incredible human being. She taught me about communicating with the spiritual realm. 
And I grew up in a house where um, Jesus was everything. So while being natally Jewish on one side, um, on my father's side, I have my Native American grandmother. My mom was a born-again Christian, and so I grew up that way. And my grandmother was talking to me about spirit guides. And I remember hiking around with her. She and my grandpa had this beautiful place in Montana. And we used to go every summer as kids. And I remember hiking around with her. And uh, one summer she would, she taught me about how she would put different vegetables and fruit and stuff in the creek. There was like this freezing cold stream and she would put everything in there as if it was like a refrigerator. I remember learning about that. And on one of the days when we were going to get some rhubarb out of her creek refrigerator space, she was talking to me about the spirits of the land and what had happened on that land in the past. She talked to me about the spirits of the trees and the flowers and about the spirits of her spirit guides. And she said, you know, you're, you're talking to your spirit guides a lot as kids do. Most parents feel like maybe they're speaking to imaginary friends, but what I've observed is that most kids are talking to their spirit guides. And by the way, I'm so grateful for parents who support that um, because there are many of them as well. And so it was really the best training a person could receive because it was like having a, a mentor that was always around and knew so much more than me. And because I was a kid, I would just soak in information. Later on in life, I did end up sort of turning my back on all of those things. She was also really gifted with herbs and things of the earth. And I have a lot of water in my chart and I need a lot of earth. So I did eventually go back to all of those practices, but it was a really incredible upbringing to get to learn all of that so young. I feel really fortunate. Yeah. First of all, I love Montana. I think it's just so gorgeous. Beautiful. Yes. It is. I, I love big, wide open spaces. They make my heart very happy. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, it, it feels magical to think about having that sort of to grow up with, you know, um, definitely not someone a lot of, or not something a lot of us get to experience you know, the encouragement of those kinds of things, much less someone who truly understands what it is that they're sharing and talking about. Mm -hmm. I, um, I just think that that's really cool. So was she, yeah. was she the one who introduced you to your gifts at a young age or? Yeah, I think actually, I mean, I credit her with a lot of it. I think she was one of the major people who did, but I also remember being in church with my best friend and kind of hearing from my guides there as well. It was a, kind of a softer voice and it was usually from Ascended Masters. Um, and I remember that happening a lot too. But I think for me, as it is for a lot of people, I think many of us are born with these gifts and we manifest before we come into this reincarnation to have some kind of mentor, to have somebody with us by our side to teach us all of these things. And so I fully 100% know that I manifested my grandmother to begin all of that, all of those journeys and those lessons and my mother too. That's fascinating. Yeah. It was yeah. really a great time. I grew up in church as well. Um, and grew up, you know, like in the, the Christian community 
too. So <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many stories yeah. there. Um, yeah, many. So you grew up and ended up going the traditional route. Um, you got several like master degrees uh, from the mm-hmm. University of London and um, basically became a specialist in trauma in addition to other modalities. What mm-hmm. was it that drew you to trauma specifically? Well, um, I believe that we are all the healer that we need. And I think that we all need guides and we all need mentors to help us get there. And I believe that sometimes people are sent to us to be those mentors and those guides. But I learned by the time I got to college that I actually had had a pretty traumatic childhood. When you're little, you don't realize that certain things are not the same as what everyone else around you is experiencing. And I've always been a really introverted person. I think I had like three friends growing up um, and I loved them passionately, but like, um, I don't think we spent much time talking about stuff that was going on in our families or the way we grew up. All of my friends, even throughout high school, knew that I was a Bible thumper. Um, I went to youth group like five nights a week. It was my whole life. And I basically got to college and totally freaked out. I was just trying everything I could try, every drug imaginable. I tried everything I could try because I had felt so restricted. And throughout that journey, um, I thankfully didn't get addicted to anything. I still, well, cigarettes, but I didn't get addicted to any drugs or alcohol, which I'm still really grateful for. I think it was by the grace of God. Um, and I, through that experience started to understand that I was really masking a whole lot of trauma. I would talk to my friends in college and hear about their, their childhoods and realize again that that was a lot. And so I was already a psychology major in my undergrad. And actually when I was wrapping up my undergrad, I decided to go work in film production because it just seemed like, the best way to have very little responsibility. I was in a phase of understanding how much trauma I had undergone already. And I was like, well, I'm 22. I really have no idea how to deal with this. So let me just play pretend for a while. And I did. And I really enjoyed that. And still to this day, I maintain one of the most fun jobs in the entire world is being a first team PA. It was really a lot of fun. Um, But then I, you know, kept moving up and up the levels because I'm a very ambitious and driven person. And the job got more serious as I went on. And I realized I didn't want to spend my life doing that. I had a really bad injury in the process and ended up working in the production office. And the long hours are significantly less fun when you're just sitting there doing paperwork. And so um, I had a partner who was an amazing man. He was a Maasai tribesman. And he was from Kenya and fascinating and brilliant. And he worked for Unifem at the time. And we talked a lot about what it was that I wanted to do and who I wanted to help and what kind of service I wanted to bring to the world. And I knew that my time with film production was was coming to an end. I just could feel it. Um, And I was in my late 20s and I, I felt so strongly that I wanted to do something more important more important 
all jobs are equally important. I'm, I'm putting quotation marks for those of you that are listening to the podcast. All jobs are equally important, but I wanted to do something that felt more meaningful to me. And so I took off on a trip to Myanmar and I stayed in Myanmar for about three months. I overstayed my visa. I may not be welcome there anymore. I'm not sure. Um, but it was during the time of the military junta and it was fascinating. It was so fascinating to be there. I decided to take it as like a reporter would take the trip at the beginning. And so I was just taking photos of everything that I could find. And I photographed some human rights abuses. I got arrested. It was a whole thing. Um, thankfully, my partner at the time got me out. Um, That's brave, and- by the way. <laughs> Wow. It's, it's foolhardy in a way that only really exists when you're 27. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't do it today. But just what an amazing, that. amazing memory to have. Like, Oh, it was great. It yeah. was beautiful. And while I was there, I was witnessing the way that people were responding to all of this hideous chaos that was surrounding them. And by the way, Myanmar is like the most beautiful country you've ever seen. It's so beautiful. The nature is gorgeous, but then they also have these beautiful temples and such a rich spiritual tradition. And so I realized while I was there that people were going through PTSD and I don't love diagnoses. I don't diagnose my clients anymore. And I just don't think it's useful. But in some cases, it can help to describe a state of mind. And so as I was witnessing people undergoing some of the worst PTSD out there, I was realizing I also had PTSD, and I really need to figure that out. And rather than seek a practitioner, which I think is what most people do, I decided to go back to school and go back to school and go back to school and go back to school. And then I was in school for about seven years or so. Um, researching counseling and trauma therapy and all of the different modalities that were working in trauma. At that time, the next big wave was EMDR, which I found doesn't work for me and, and hasn't worked for many of my clients, but I know that it has worked really well for some people. I think it just depends on where you're at with it. And so I did a lot of research there, did a lot of research in neuroscience because I firmly believed that everything that was going on was all about your brain synapses and your brain patterns. And I still think that's pretty on point. I think there are spiritual elements as well, but those also need to be addressed in the brain. And through all of that, I realized that I needed to study trauma. It was the way to heal myself. It was the way to be of service to other people. And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with it yet, but I knew there was something there. I feel like we could talk for days. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. That's incredible. That's awesome. Okay, so trauma. Um, I, I think uh, there's a, uh, of course, I'm not going to be able to remember it. This is what happens when I get excited. Um, there was a book that I read last year, and it's uh, written by a woman from Africa. She's absolutely just amazing. Um came to the U.S. with her five children and got a Ph.D. And um, she literally works on empowering women like back in Africa, here in the U.S. She's incredible. Um, But she said the if you're looking for your purpose, all you need to uncover is your greatest pain. 
Mm -hmm. I so agree with that statement. And if you think about it, when you look at the people who are so fully in their purpose and living soul-driven lives, they have uncovered their greatest pain and they're using it to help other people heal theirs. Yeah. Yeah. It's I an act of bravery. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. She's, I'll have to send you a link because she's incredible. She sounds great. Um, okay. So then you transitioned into humanitarian aid work, correct? Kind of within yeah. like hand quotations, the corporate world. Very corporate. Yes. <laughs> and how long were you in that work for? So I, hmm, the timeline gets a little messy. I worked for a number of different humanitarian aid organizations, including the largest one that everyone's probably thinking of. Um, and the way that it kind of started was while I was still in Myanmar, I, this is another foolhardy thing that you would only do at the age of 27 or maybe later in life, let's see. Um, but I messaged my, my film boss, who is just the most beautiful, amazing man, and told him about what I was seeing. And I sent him through some photos and just said, I need just buckets of money and I'm going to rent a truck and go out and distribute food because like, there's no food here. You know, um, at this point at 41, I can say that's really not going to do much. Yes. You're giving people food for one day, but like, come on, can you like teach people how to farm? Can you give them seeds? Can you give them farming equipment? There's so many other ways to, to help in that situation. But I had zero training and I was, you know, foolhardy enough to, to go try something new. And I do think that is how we innovate. It's important. However, looking back, I can say, I probably should have asked for some help. Could have asked my partner at the time, by the way, who had a lot of expertise in this, but no. Decided to go my own way. And so I, like the very privileged woman that I was, and still am, obviously, um, I was able to get some funds from him and rent a truck. And thankfully, on that plane ride from Bangkok to Myanmar, I had met this group of beautiful people who I'm still in touch with today. And one of them was a Frenchman who was marrying a Burmese woman. When I met her, it was like fast friends, immediate love. And we talked about my aspirations and I told her how much money I had and, you know, all things that in the grand scope of life should have been a disaster, but it was actually really, really beautiful. She hired a crew for us and she organized things for us. And we ended up traveling along the Ayurwadi River and distributing food. It was a beautiful experience. I felt like it was the very beginning of me learning what humanitarian aid work was. And it was, it just completely put me on my path. And so we stopped eventually because money ran out and I had overstayed my visa yet again. And so I left the country and I left with a really good feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving things better than I found them. However, later on, I... I got back to New York and I was supposed to be on a movie again. And I talked to my boss and just said, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know what's happening to me, but I'm really super done. I was pretty done when I left, but now that I've experienced that, I am super done. And so he said that was fine. He was wonderful about it. 
Um, and I was able to replace myself on that movie. And I started looking in earnest for humanitarian aid jobs. And all that I had at that point in time was a bachelor's degree in psychology. I had done some English teaching in an African restaurant named Africa Kine in Harlem. I met some Sudanese men who needed to study for their TOEFL exam. It's like an English equivalency exam that you have to take to get into college here in the States. And I had been helping them with their schoolwork. That was the extent of my English training. And um, just by luck, I found this English teaching position in Timor-Leste, this very tiny country between Indonesia and Australia, and made the best friends of my life there. They're still my family. I just absolutely love them. And I absolutely love that country. And so I started teaching English. And because I am such a driven and ambitious person, I ended up letting everybody around me, anyone who would listen, know that I wanted to work for one of the biggest humanitarian aid organizations there. And very fortunately, I ended up getting an interview to teach English there and I got the job and the rest is history. So I started out as an English teacher, held many different positions over the course of about 10 years. Um, and worked for a bunch of different organizations as well. I was able to do some research while I was there. I worked a lot in gender affairs. And the biggest part of my, my roles there was working with survivors of domestic violence. And that's something that I'm still incredibly, incredibly passionate about. I'm on the board of two different organizations in different countries that do that kind of work. And my I was just saying this to someone the other day, you know, I, there's no such thing as August or December for me. Like that's financial reporting time in our world. And so my August and my December is always really fully booked with doing those reports and making sure that we can secure funding for the following years. It's always going to be a passion of mine. And I'm so grateful that I got to work with those women for so long. That was, it was groundbreaking for me not only as a, a professional, but also as a person. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, that's yeah. truly making a difference. It's and, amazing. And getting to see the, the reward immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were, you were working for in the corporate world for about 10 years, and then you, is this when you kind of broke down yeah. physically? <laughs> yes. And- <laughs> yes. So um, this this sweep into the the spiritual world how did how did this happen for you So I um to be very blunt I got to be 35 and I looked around me and realized that I lived in a very small country my my work at the time had me in three different countries all the time so I would be in one country for a month next country for a month, next country for a month, and then do the whole rotation again. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was so much fun. And I loved having friends in each of those different countries. But I was looking around and seeing that many of the women in this really large humanitarian aid organization who were my age and older were single or they had partners and they had kids and their partners and kids stayed back in their home countries so that the kids could go to school. I had very few examples of women who were happily coupled with children, living, everybody living in the same country. 
And I had also begun to notice that um, the organization and, and most humanitarian aid organizations do make efforts to keep married couples together in the same country, but it's like the holy grail. I mean, by the time they can get that organized, one person might have gotten another job already in a different place. So um, I decided that I really wanted to go back to New York because I wanted to have a partner and I wanted to have kids. And so I just, because I'm a manifester and I, I know what I'm doing, I met my my partner at the time in Bangkok on my way home. And we fell in love really fast and we both wanted kids very badly. And so I went back to New York and he agreed to move to the States to be with me. He's German. And um, it took some time for his company to organize it, but we did long distance for about 10 months, which for me after living that life was nothing. I was very used to long distance relationships at that point. And then he arrived in New York and we really in earnest started trying to have kids. And this is not something that I talk about super often. It's taken a long time to, to make peace with it and to heal it. But I ended up having a series of miscarriages. It was just one right after another and each one got more and more heartbreaking. And after that, my hormones were really out of whack and I was working in an office in New York for the first time in over 10 years. And I think the organization had a hard time figuring out what to do with me. I had various degrees and things that were super useful out in the field, but back in New York headquarters, not that useful. And so I ended up um, organizing events. I had, I had a number of jobs. First, I worked on campaigns, which I loved. That was a great job. And then when the campaigns ended, I ended up organizing events. And it was it's just not something that really suits me. I'm pretty forgetful. I'm definitely the absent-minded professor. And um, I'm pretty disorganized. I mean, I'd show you my desk right now, but not worth it. And um, I started to experience such incredible pain. It was like... I was going 90 miles an hour to, to organize these events and do everything according to protocol. And I knew they were really important. I knew what I was doing was really important, but it, it felt so different than what I am good at and what I had done in the past. And I started to just get incredible pains. I remember sitting at my desk and just feeling my wrists. I was like, my God, I cannot type one more thing. Like, is this ever going to end? And so I started physical therapy for my wrist pain and they said, well, all we can really figure out is that it must be tendonitis. I'd had tendonitis in my ankles multiple times because I was a dancer when I was young. And I went through physical therapy, no change at all after six weeks. And then I started having such pain in my feet. I couldn't walk anymore. I kept buying different versions of dance codes that had always worked for me. And I was just in more and more pain every day. And eventually it got to the point that I had to start working from home. I was lucky to have a boss that would let me do that this organization is not a work from home kind of place. Um, and I just got worse. I got worse for a couple of years and we tried different things. Like we tried me going back to work for a while and seeing if maybe like at home I was just bored and that's why I was feeling worse. And then I'd go back to work for a while and get worse there. And then I'd go home and get worse. There. Like it kind of didn't matter where I was. I just felt horrible all the time. And I was in a wheelchair for about a year and a half. I, my feet just wouldn't function. There would be mornings when I would wake up, 
I couldn't feel them or sometimes I'd wake up and they would hurt so much that I couldn't walk. I had foot surgery in the meantime that did nothing. Um, and so how did you heal? <laughs> so basically <laughs> what ended up happening was that I couldn't move. I got to the point where I was laying on the couch all day long watching Netflix um, and I had to be fed by my husband at the time. Like he had to physically feed me and help me go to the bathroom and shower. It was mortifying. And I was laying on the couch one day and I started to hear voices again. And I had heard voices a little bit when I was out working in the field. I would hear from my guides when we shouldn't travel, or I'd hear from my guides like, ooh, start this program in that country. They were always giving me tips, but I didn't acknowledge it. So, I mean, I would follow the tips, don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't acknowledge it and be like, thank you guides for showing me this. Who am I speaking with? Like, I just didn't, I didn't remember how to do this. And so the way that I healed was that I started channeling the guides again. And I would hear from them different things to try. So for example, my grandmother and I started talking again and she recommended some herbs to try. And then I started to feel a little bit better. And then through coincidence one day, I decided, okay, I, let me go back to Kundalini yoga because I loved it when I lived in Bangladesh. We were on quarantine there for a, a health crisis. And so I, you know, I feel like it was kind of built for this time right now. And that's how we got through it. We would like sit in the parking lot and do Kundalini together. Um, and so I went back to Kundalini practice and through one yoga class, I met this woman who told me about this herbalist in upstate New York who could cure Lyme disease. And at this point, um, I'd seen 27 doctors and all had different opinions, but one thing that was pretty settled was that I had Lyme disease. I had mold illness from working in the basement, from living in moldy apartments when I lived overseas, and um, multiple chemical sensitivity. And so I, and I'm not saying those things are 100% perfect, but much, much better. And I started working with this herbalist and through channeling my guides, my guides would say, okay, we're going to work on your belief systems today. So one of your biggest beliefs is that you're not able to heal on your own. And I would say, that's not true. I totally think I can heal on my own, but of course I didn't. And so I would, I would hear from my guides how to heal that belief. And then the next day they would say, one of your biggest beliefs is that you're going to be loveless if you stay sick. And that's why you're putting so much pressure on yourself to get better so fast. This man is not going to leave you over your sickness. You're going to be okay. And so then I would hear from them how to heal that. And through all of, it was like a little trail of breadcrumbs through all of those breadcrumbs. Finally, at the end of so many beliefs that they had walked me through how to heal and thought patterns, they walked me through how to heal. I started to hear tones and the tones were unlike anything I'd ever heard before. One of my clients describes it as hearing the sounds of the planets. And it really is like the sounds of the earth. They're so beautiful. Not always beautiful in like a harmonic song kind of way, but beautiful in a way that it speaks to your very heart and soul. Um, and so I started humming these tones and doing all of this um, belief work and behavior change and brain repatterning, which I knew how to do from all of my neuroscience research. 
with my guides and I started to really feel better. I started to be able to walk again and then I could walk longer distances. Like I was able to, I remember the day I was able to walk a whole mile. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. After being in a wheelchair for a year and a half with such debilitating pain and sometimes just incredible numbness too. It felt so great. And so I did all of this schooling, like years and years of schooling to figure out how to heal my trauma. But what actually happened was that I buried it in my body. And I think this happens to a lot of people. A lot of my clients have chronic pain stuff when they come to me and we heal it together because I found that with most, I'm not saying all, but with most chronic pain, it starts with trauma and burying that so that you can go on keep functioning, keep working, keep taking care of kids, all the things that we have to do in life. We don't have to do them. A, we're taught that we have to do them, but we don't have to. And so as I kept healing those traumas from the past, my body kept improving. And as it improved, I thought, okay, let's not make this for nothing. This didn't happen just so that you could heal yourself. Let's figure out what really is at the bottom of this. And so I channeled my guides more and more. And what I kept hearing was, this is for other people too. You need to share this work. For about a year I did, I shared it free of charge with anyone who would let me work with them and built up my skills and learned how to, how to systematically do this kind of work so that we would have a framework to start with. But as I got more comfortable with it and as my guides got more comfortable with me doing this kind of work, they now just send me whatever that person needs. So there is a basic structure, but if that person needs like, if they need to work with a certain law of the universe, for example, we do that. Or if I see something in one of their past lives that needs to be rooted out for them to heal, we do that. But the the basic transformational healing process is that you go back into your memories and drudge up, which can be uncomfortable, you drudge up one of your bigger traumas that you know is playing into your life right now. And together we rewrite it. The guides usually send me a picture of that trauma before I even meet the person online. And so I kind of know where we're gonna go in the session. And then they send me really specific ways to help that person rewrite that. And then they use that rewrite and the the accompanying tones that the guides channel through for greater integration and greater repatterning of the brain, they use all of that for the next week. And they, they do the process over and over again for the next week so that their brain really learns a new pattern of function and learns how to recover from this particular trauma. And the beauty of transformational healing is that we don't have to attack each trauma. So What I've found works really well with my clients is that we go back in time to the initial trauma. If it's precognitive, there are ways around that. I've been doing that for many years too. But if they can remember the trauma, we start there. Because what I found is once we start at the root of the thing, many of the layers of trauma that have piled on top of that one lift also. Yeah. Things always start somewhere. (laughs) They have all begun somewhere. I love that you go back to the roots. I love that that's like where you start. 
Yeah. So it's, it's something that's so missing in our Western medicine, Western therapy, Western everything these days. It's why I really don't bother going to my Western doctor for anything really anymore. Yeah. Because if we don't get to the root of something, then, then there's really <laughs> no point. And it's not, right. it's not going to solve anything. Right. Um, and so often they just want to prescribe a medicine. Mm-hmm. Oh, your, your sex drive is falling apart. Okay. Well, let's give right. you some pills. It's like, thanks. Right. <laughs> but yeah. with the pills, like your hair starts falling out and your skin starts breaking out. And then like, yeah, you know, you're kind There's of screwed every way. Yeah. yeah. And you're on 10 pills to treat all of the different side effects of the first pill. Yeah. All of the different ones. Yeah. Um, So I'd love to kind of chat with you a little bit about some of the ways in which you work and just kind of like, you know, your, your spiritual connections in general. I know from listening to your podcasts and also going through the course with you that you are such a clear channel. Um, (laughs) what, like what spirit guides do you primarily work with and why? Well, I'm actually just a really open channel. So I work with everybody. Um, the ones that I work with for myself are very different than the ones that I work with in session. So for me personally, when I'm working on healing something for me, I work with Archangel Michael. I feel like he is the closest connection to me. He was with me the whole time that I was on my incredible chronic pain journey. And he's kind of like, my God. Um, I'm a big fan too. (laughs) I'm a big fan. Yeah. Um, I also work a lot with the Mary Magdalene Collective. And the reason behind that is that I have a ton of masculine energy. It's just who I am. Um, my mom is like a really incredible driven woman. She was the second principal French horn player that was a woman in this whole country. And she had to muscle her way in there. You know, it was a totally male dominated field and it's an artistic field. So it's even more competitive. And, um, I learned all of that from her and I love that because it made me so strong, but I need a lot of, I I need some balance and I know when I get there and when I need the balance, I get really upset. I get really emotional. Um, You know, I spend like hours on the phone with my best friend about it and sob it out. And then I, I, you know, this is a pattern and I recognize that it's a pattern and I am completely able to break it. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, And then I call in Mary Magdalene and I'm like, okay, I, Really, I'm just like burning myself out here and just using my masculine energy to like push and force, make things happen in my life. I just, I need you to come to me right now and show me life with ease. And she never fails. And her collective of divine feminine ascended masters is just gorgeous. And so that really balances me out. Those are, those are my two, um, my two biggest go-tos. And then in terms of star collectives, I love working with the Pleiadians. I know that I'm of Pleiadian descent and I find Pleiadian descent in most of my clients. I find that every client that I've ever worked with who's had some kind of chronic pain issue from sciatica to endometriosis to migraines, all Pleiadian descent. And so there's something very important there about that. The Pleiadians are incredible healers and they... Uh, in my opinion, 
those of Pleiadian descent are here to help other people heal too. Um, and they're one of my biggest go-tos. Also the Arcturians and the Syrians as well. The Syrians for me are... Okay, so sometimes you want like a longer flowery answer and it's like very beautiful to bring through imagery and voices and um, like I, I also experience my guides through smell. I have a really strong sense of smell and that's more the divine feminine masters. The Syrians are like quick answers. So when you think of um, somebody who's working with a pendulum, you know, it's like for the listeners who don't know, it's a gadget. There's like a, a beautiful stone at the end of it. And sometimes you get like a pretty thing on the top and you let it down from your hand and you ask it a question and you say, okay, I charge this pendulum front back is yes. Side to side is no. And then you drop the pen. You ask the question, like, should I move to Bangkok? Drop the pendulum and let it settle for a minute. And then whichever way it's going, that's the answer. I find that that is completely what it's like to communicate with the Syrians. The Syrians give you quick answers. If you just need like a little pick me up, they're great with that too. And I, you know, I'm sure they do so many other things, but that's, that's been my experience of them. That's really interesting. What is it like to work with spirit guides on such a intimate level, like on a daily basis? It's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> I know for myself. So, um, uh, when I started reading the Akashic records earlier this year, things started really opening up for me and it was amazing because I feel like my entire life, I've been waiting for this time of my life that's starting mm -hmm. now. Um, and it just makes life so magical, you know, it's like, yeah. I think a part of, of the, all the alcohol when I was younger and the just numbing out was just feeling like I was looking around the world, like this is it. I know that there's more than this. There's gotta be yeah. more than this. Um, and waking up and realizing there's so much more of that. And then being able to tap into that magic and having it talk back to you and mm -hmm. communicate back with you and truly realizing that you're not alone. I mean, you yeah. talk about like growing up as an introvert and even mm -hmm. though you had some close friends, they weren't that close. Right. But now you've got these friends yeah. who are like really close. Right. So what is that like? <laughs> um, I mean, I did feel like my friends growing up were really close and I did feel a lot of intimacy there. I just think that I, I didn't, I don't share much. Um, I'm learning that. And I, I wrote you an email about this too. After I listened to your stand tall episode, I was like, Oh, she shares a lot about her personal life and people love it. And I, I, I know that's the direction I need to get better at. So I'm working on it. Um, but there's nothing you can hide from your spirit guides. It's all up. They know it all. They know everything. And um, oddly, that never bothered me. It, it bothers me when I feel like, um, you know, when you meet someone and they already have heard of you 
and they start telling you stuff about your life that you don't realize you'd ever disclosed before, like maybe in your podcast or something, you're like, oh my God, I don't think I ever said that in my podcast. Where are people learning these things about me? And then you're like, oh, actually I did talk about that. It's not stalkery of that person to bring it up. Get over yourself. Um, but the only time I've never not been bothered by that is with my guides because I just feel like I feel such a sense of peace and love when I'm communicating with them. And when people ask me like, how can I tell if it's my intuition or if it's my guides? One of the, I mean, there are so many different ways and I, I go through all of those different ways with the people who join my mentorship program. But one of the quick tips I can give for all of your listeners is that if there's any fear involved, it's not your guides. Yeah. If you're hearing like, mm, don't go out tonight. We had a major election yesterday. Just don't go out tonight. Okay, that might be a guide, but if it's accompanied by a fearful sensation within you, then it's probably your intuition and that's okay. And you can listen to your intuition. Um, if you feel like it's wrong, that's up to you to find out. But if there's any fear accompanying the message, it's not your spirit guides. And I think that for me, somebody who has always been naturally very anxious and jumpy. That's really the most incredible thing yeah. to be able to just communicate without fear. I fully agree with that. I had um, one of my clients, uh, gosh, months ago, you know, was sharing with me that she felt her guides were telling her that she needed to push this program out like immediately. And like, I mean, I could tell just in the way that she was sharing this with me, like, a, she didn't have the time to do it. B, like she wasn't ready for it. And C, this was totally stressing her out. And I was just like, this, That's is, not, not, your guys. <laughs> this yeah. is not your guys, girlfriend. <laughs> no, you're not going to feel that pressure if that's, if that's your guides, that's not going right. to happen. Um, so how is it in the midst of uh, like, what are some personal practices for you in regards to keeping your like spiritual channel clear? What are some of the things that you do? So um, I was just asked this question by someone in my mastermind today. It's, I think it's really different for every person and everybody has to find what works for them. So what works for me is to just continually heal. Um, I have been, Yeah, my, my spiritual practice has changed so much over the last few years, but I've tried so many different things. And I tried Kundalini yoga. I was very into it for a while, always doing the 4 a.m. wake ups and the two and a half hour sadhana practice. And that really worked for me for a while. But that for me anyway, with my health issues was not sustainable. Like I need to sleep. I'm not a person who sleeps in, even if I wake up at 4 a.m., I just need to lay there for a little bit. I can't get right up and launch into very physical work. Um, and it was throwing off my glandular secretions and everything. So I love Kundalini. I still practice a lot of meditations. I still do some of the yoga, but I do it in a more mindful for my body and my existence way. And I find it to be an incredibly healing practice for me. Also, I, I find that if I catch, like I'll catch a little thing in myself that needs to be healed, like I'll notice a block or something. 
if I don't attend to that right away, like within the next 24 hours or so, I feel really off kilter. And so I think a major part of remaining a clear channel is rooting out anything in you that's interrupting that line of communication between you and your guides. And what's the number one interrupter? Blocks. And so we need to to go through ourselves. And that, for me, can involve a lot of writing. Sometimes I have to um, talk about it with one of my friends. But I, I need to root those out as soon as they appear to be able to continue to be the super clear channel that I am and that I'm meant to be. And so that, for me, looks like practicing transformational healing on myself. And once I find a block, I ask my guides for the oldest memory that's related to that and do that work on myself. That's really incredible. So I'd love to, um, I think it's perfect transition to, to kind of step into talking about the work that you do. I, I've, we've already talked about it a little bit, but like, um, so I guess one of the first places to start, you've already talked about the transformational healing but do you have like kind of a, a, a nice synopsis for it? Um. <laughs> I don't know how nice it is, um, <laughs> but my synopsis for it would be that it is a, a new and up and coming modality to heal trauma. And trauma can be anything from a car accident to things that happen in childhood. And what we do is backed by science. So the, the rewriting of old memories, we recover an old memory first. People usually come into session with that memory already in mind because they're familiar with my work and they know that's, that's how the session will go. And they first share with me their trauma and we rewrite it together with the spirit guides help. And then I transmit channeled tones to them to help that healing solidify in their brains. When we're practicing transformational healing, we're working with the limbic brain, which is the cave person brain. So it's the part of your brain that throws you into fight or flight. It's the part of your brain where memories get associated with certain fears. And we want to root all of that stuff out. So we just go through it together they rewrite the memory and then they continue practicing the rewriting the memory and the toning for the next week. And because of the repetition, the brain is able to form new neuronal pathways and it's able to rewrite this new memory over the old one, which is such an incredible thing that our brains can do. And so this practice called transformational healing, because it is so transformational for people, I watch people leave a session and they just look light. Their whole faces have changed. And the response that I get, usually one or two days later, whomever I just had a session with will write to me and say, oh my God, it's just gone. It's like, it's evaporated into nothingness. I can still remember it. Like it's still there, but it doesn't have the same charge. And now I remember the new memory so much more, which is so empowering and so loving. There are also elements of neuroscience in this too. So when the guides were channeling to me the, the process of transformational healing, as I was receiving the different pieces of it, within like a day or two, I would find something in one of my old neuroscience textbooks about what I was being given from the guides. So rewriting the memory is something called neurolinguistic programming. 
And I remember learning that in school. And I remember taking an extra course in it because I was so fascinated. But the reason why it works better in transformational healing is because we have the guides with us. And the guides can prompt us as to how to best rewrite that memory for that particular person. And that's why I love one-on-one work because we can really dive into all of that. And then the toning is something called polyvagal toning theory, which posits basically that our 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, is responsible for all bodily functions or nearly all. And it's responsible for a lot of the memory associations that we have. And so one of the best ways to bring our bodies back into the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest state, is to hear the sound of our own voice humming. And so like a maybe a more um, evolved, let's say, psychologist <laughs> may have you do some polyvagal toning where you sit and hum to yourself for 15 minutes. And that's great. And I love it. But um, what works even better is if you involve the spirit guides and allow them to deliver the tones to your ears and then make the same sounds with your mouth. And a lot of the people that I work with are not yet in a place where they hear the sounds from the guides. And so I hear them and I tone and then people repeat the tones. But eventually after working with me, a lot of my my clients turn into mentorship clients. And so then I teach them how to do this kind of work and they're able to go on and do it on their own. Yeah, I loved I loved the toning component of the course that I yeah. took with you. Um, I sound for me is, is, has always been so healing. And, um, I learned, uh, I don't know, I guess maybe a month or so ago now, that healing, it was like kind of shown to me that healing is my, or hearing is my no, most natural gift. And I was like, what? That's no, I would have put it at the bottom of the list. And I okay. went into the records to find out more about that. And they shared all about sound and how healing it is to me and how important it is for me to sing and, and write and words and all of these things, you know, that are associated with sound. It just blew my mind. Um, but in correlation, because I was, you know, in that course with you in the time, it was like, this is why I'm liking these tones so much. <laughs> Yay! It was really cool. Um, so definitely, like, the tones were something I wanted to touch on. And, I mean, there's very much within the uh, spiritual community, there's sound healing, you know, mm-hmm. of course. W- would you kind of consider them to be the same thing or or no? No. Um, I love a good sound bath. I love crystal sound bowls. I think they're beautiful. Um, And I know how to play the gong. I was trained in that when I did my Kundalini yoga teacher training. And then I did some extra training with like a gong master in New York who I love. Um, And I, I love that kind of sound healing also. I think everything has its role and its place in our lives as a healing tool. What I found for myself is that, um, I am really type A. And so I think for some people it works to say like, okay, I'm going to go to this group sound bath tonight. What I want to heal is this 
traumatic memory with my mother. And maybe it will be healed. And I really hope that it is for that person. But for me anyway, and for my clients, we need more targeted sound healing. It's beautiful to set an intention. And I think that our earth, just in the rays and consciousness that we're all experiencing right now, I do think our earth is headed in that direction. But for me personally, and for a lot of my clients, we really need the, the structure of like, okay, let's, let's truly retrain the brain because the brain is calling the shots ultimately. For sure. And I love sound healing. It makes you feel great. And I think it's really important for me anyway. I need more. I need more. Yeah. 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 I was curious to hear what your, uh, what your opinion was on that. I, toning for me is still so new and, and even sound healing. So I don't have as much experience or, or even knowledge about it, but I was curious. Um, can I say one more thing about that? Of course. <laughs> um, one of, this is one of the beautiful things about those group sound healing experiences, like going to a gong bath or going to a crystal bowl ceremony or something. Um, so what, like, okay, let's say, you know, for example, that sound healing is something that really works for you. And you're working with me and we're going through all the stuff and we're going through a few different traumas and, and clearing those things out. But um, you are accustomed to doing things at night, like going out with colleagues for happy hour, or let's say there's some kind of addiction that's happening there. One thing that has worked really well for a lot of my clients is to replace that time spent doing the unhealthy activity, whether it's like dating someone bad for you or drinking a lot or drugs or whatever, replace that unhealthy activity with going to sound baths and sound healings because the neuronal structure of our brains responds really well to sound, even when we're in a very guarded state. So if you're giving up something, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, if you're giving up something like uh, drugs or alcohol or an unhealthy relationship, your brain tends to really freak out for lack of a better term. And those neuronal structures are looking for something new to hold on to. And going to a sound bath or a sound healing with a group is a great way to start that retraining process, not only from a neuroscience perspective, but also from a behavioral perspective, because you're, you're starting a new routine. You're starting a new activity. I know it's really hard right now because uh, a lot of us are in quarantine, but there are sound baths online. You can find them really easily. There are a lot of very gifted sound healers doing group sound baths um, over FaceTime. I know Zoom is having some trouble with that. But I think that's an incredible use of sound healing also. That's and awesome. That's, yeah. a, that's a great, a great tip for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Um, no, that's really cool. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> now I know where to put that bucket. <laughs> right? Um, so in regards to kind of how you're working with clients these days, so I know that like through your website, folks can actually purchase sets of different tones for certain things. Mm -hmm. um, you have uh, a class that's happening currently right now that I definitely want to chat about. Um, but then you also have like mentorships. So yeah. let's talk about the mentorships before we jump into the, 
to talking about your your second class. <laughs> okay. Um, the mentorship program came about really naturally. So I was working with this super gifted woman and I could see her starting to channel and she didn't know that she was doing it. So like all of a sudden she'd come out with this really profound thing and be like, Jesus, she's so smart. And then later on, I'd be chatting with my guides and they would say, yeah, we're speaking through your client. That, that was for you. Um, and that started to happen more and more. And so I started to approach these clients and say, you know, I, I'm hearing that you're channeling. Are you aware that you're doing this? No. Okay. Well, let me let, you, let let's do this together so I can teach you how to do this so that you know you're doing it. And then you can transmit those messages to whomever needs them because whenever we receive a message, it's not only for us, but it's also for someone else. And with our consciousness rising so quickly on this planet with all of the craziness that surrounds us, I think it's really important that as many light workers as possible can step into their role to pave the way for the future. Because the medical system has failed us, many people are seeking alternative healing and they're finding that they're having these fantastical experiences with healers who are able to see them on the inside and root out whatever is in there that's causing things like autoimmune conditions or chronic pain. I know I work on those a lot. And so what I eventually came to after maybe three or four different people were having this experience was that I was supposed to start a mentorship program for anybody who is ready and interested so that they can tap into their own unique gifts. I firmly believe we all come onto this planet with our own unique gifts and they look really different for everybody. So you can have 10 tarot card readers. They're all doing it differently. They're all channeling different guides. They're all getting different kinds of messages. Then you have, you know, Reiki masters and yoga teachers. Everybody's doing something totally different. It may look the same. They may have the same certifications, but it's, it's all different. And I think one of the things that, that holds a lot of light workers back from sharing their gifts is they say, well, everyone else is doing that. Right. Well, I, I mean, I can do hands-on healing and I healed my mom's hip and she didn't have to have any surgery, but like, I'm not going to bother getting a Reiki certification because everyone's <laughs> Reiki. Fine. I support that. Don't get a Reiki certification. Let's figure out how you're doing that, what specifically you're doing, and then we're going to systematize it and put it into a process so that you understand what you're doing too. And then if that person is interested in expanding their gift out and really using it as a, as a means for income, I connect them with amazing graphic designers, web designers, and all of those kinds of people who help me along the way too, so that they can put their work out there. And um, many people, I would say about half the people that I, I mentor decide they don't have any desire to leave their current positions, which I think is a beautiful thing. Many of them are in the medical field and we really need them, especially right now. And then they use their gifts in their current job. So for example, uh, one of the physicians that I worked with is a surgeon and he realized that he could heal without having to do surgery. And so that brought up a lot of stuff in him. Like, should I stop being a surgeon? Should I just open this as a private practice? I went to school for so long. I don't, I don't really want to start over. So what he began doing was continuing to see patients in his office. And then sometimes they would end up not needing surgery and that's okay too. And no one really understands what exactly is happening. It's just 
like a very spontaneous recovery. And so some people choose to use their gifts in that way and to not share openly what it is that they're doing. And that's of course, okay. Everybody does things in their own time and I respect everyone's choices. But then some people are like, yeah, I really am ready to take this to the next level. My podcast episode that was released today is with someone like that. Her name is Michelle and she's an aesthetician and she runs something called Cottage Spa in LA, but she also um, reads Egyptian symbols. So her guides speak to her that way. And she started a whole business surrounding that. And then the third um, type of person that I work with is somebody who genuinely just wants to work on their family, family and friends. Like they're was a client that I had who her entire family has the the BRCA cancer gene, and I'm using quotation marks for the listeners who can't see me. You know, our genetic expressions can be turned on and off. That's something that's within our control for a lot of us. You can train, you can train your body and your mind to turn off certain genetic um, predispositions. I'm not saying it works 100% of the time. I think we all have Akashic things that we're here to resolve. And so if you're here to resolve something involving one of those genetic expressions, you can try to turn it off all you want. If that's your path and that's what you decided before you reincarnated, that's still something that might happen. We all have free will. We can change our minds, of course. And I, I don't ever guarantee anything because I think so much of it is up to us as individuals and our free will. But changing genetic expression is really important. And so this particular client decided that she, she literally just wanted to use her healing gifts on her extended family to make sure that not another person died of cancer. And they've all been super healthy since. So I really firmly believe that because we all have such unique gifts, they're there to be shared. They're there to be used. It would be like somebody having the cure for a really horrible, deadly disease and not sharing it with anybody and just saying, oh, worked for me. You know, it's, it's, it's not the way we were designed. We're human beings. We're designed to connect with others. And who doesn't feel great? after they help somebody else. Yeah. That's how we're made. Yeah. And so I, I really, the mentorship program is super dear to me for all of those reasons. That's awesome. No, I think it's so important for all of us because like you, I, I agree, especially the older I've gotten and the more that I've learned, not only about myself, but just life in general, the more I, I just, I see these amazing gifts and everyone I come across, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> I mean, I own a business. I work with, you know, entrepreneurs and I help them create businesses and I help them or, you know, like recreate their businesses. Um, and in that it's hard for me not to like jump on these people that I find and be like, Ooh, let's create right. a business. Let's right. <laughs> because I, I mean, I'm with you, you know, it's like, like we were talking about earlier with our greatest pain is connected to our purpose. And so yeah. when we find solutions for that. Those are solutions that we need to be sharing you know, and I think that there's different capacities for all of us, just like you're talking about. Some of those are going to be just with family and friends, maybe some just through social media, 
you know, within our current business, or maybe it is we go out and, and do this full time. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, I think that those aren't things that we should keep to ourselves. You know, if, if, if we're able to go through such a process and that's meant to be shared. Um, so I was fortunate enough to kind of take the first class with you. Um, and I'm going to look at the name again. So the divine guiding light and the second component, the second course is getting ready. Well, it's, so it's live now and folks can sign up, um, org imprints. And this yeah. starts just like in two weeks. So, yeah. so talk to me about that class and kind of what you're going to be doing. So just to clarify, I have a couple of other classes that are on my website that are still available called the Beacon Series and Elementals. And those are not live channeled classes. They're classes for people who want to resolve trauma without doing private sessions with me. And they're for people who want to learn some basics of working with energy. And that's the Elementals course. But I kept hearing from my guides that it was time to do live channeled courses. I had so much anxiety about this and it was jumping off of this massive boulder and giving myself the chance to really step into my gifts even further. And I think so much of life is that, like just really being brave and and choosing to keep daring yourself to do stuff. Especially if your guides tell you to. (laughs) Right. Listening to your guides, also a great thing. <laughs> um, following the nudge. <laughs> following. And so I, I created the second course, Divine Guiding Light 2, Work Imprints, because the first course went so well. People were meeting their guides for the very first time. People were healing really old traumas that they weren't, they were very sure that they had healed. You know, there had been like 20 years of talk therapy or... Um, working with different psychics and mediums all over the place and spiritual seeking to know tomorrow. And so many things were healed in the first Divine Guiding Light course that I really wanted to do a second one. It felt like the perfect gift. And so I channeled with the guides and they started sending me the information for Divine Guiding Light to work imprints, basically the day our course together started. Um, what I have heard from the Mary Magdalene collective is that our aura is something that precedes us when we walk into a room and it is responsible for the opportunities that we attract. It's responsible for the people that we meet, all of these different kinds of things. And if we're able to cleanse out our auras then we can fill our auras with the right things to have the right opportunities to meet the right people and to be able to move forward on our spiritual path. So people who didn't do divine guiding light one absolutely don't have to do it. This is a standalone. This new course is a standalone course and you can take it if you haven't taken divine guiding light one and you won't be lost at all. But the people who have taken Divine Guiding Light One will receive even more benefit from this class because they've already started that process of clearing out old things, healing trauma, communicating with their guides. One of the happiest coincidences from Divine Guiding Light One was that so many people started channeling in the class. Normally, I I think under average, and I'm putting quotation marks for all of our listeners, under average circumstances, 
it takes more time, more healing work and more um, kind of cleansing of your inner child in order to start channeling. But it didn't go that way in divine guiding light one. And I think it's responsible. I think our, our guides are responsible. I think it's also about this time on the planet with all of us just under this like consistent low grade stress, <laughs> which is awful. I, I'm not saying it's a good <laughs> thing, but I do think that being under consistent stress can open up a lot of stuff. True. It can, it can resolve a lot of blocks that you have to trying new things because it's like, well, I've tried everything else and nothing's working. So let me try this. Well, it brings things to the surface as well. But I think that also something that I have so enjoyed about online courses this year, like group is the energy. You know, mm -hmm. when you get a bunch of people together, I mean, like, even if it's just a meditation, it's so much more powerful so I'm sure that that, you know, played a part in it as well. Because I think all of us who were able to join live, especially walked away, like, electrified. Yes. <laughs> you know, those, those elements of being able to, to partake in a live, in a live, you know, course is huge. So I highly recommend signing up for the course and for attending live. Agreed. However, I do have to tell you, there were a number of Europeans in Divine Guiding Light 1, and they could never attend live because it was always starting on Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. Pacific, which is going to be the same for Divine Guiding Light 2 work imprints. And they were only able to join the next day, or sometimes I couldn't get the video posted for a few more days. They had the same experiences. That's awesome. Many of them don't do social media, so they weren't able to join the, the Facebook group and, and write about all the things that they experienced. But I was getting emails from people pretty regularly that they, you know, in the midst of the forgiveness healing in session five, for example, two of the women who had joined from Europe had the same vision from the same guide. Oh, wow. Interesting. I mean, you just can't, they don't know each other either. You just can't make that stuff up, you yeah. know, like... Well, I took the, the last, the last class. I wasn't, I, I started live, but that week for me was yeah. energy wise. Me. I had to, <laughs> I had to go to bed, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, but I mean, still being able to, to do the class on my own, it was every bit as powerful. So that is awesome. Um, one of the last questions I have for you before we jump into the lightning round is mm -hmm. kind of just like a personal geek out question a little bit, okay. I guess. Um, so one of, the one of the most striking things about you is how clear and succinct you are in your communication. Um, have you always been this way or did you learn how to, to, to be this what? clear? <laughs> I have to say that I'm shocked to hear you say that. I am. I feel like I'm a very clear communicator when I'm channeling because my guides bring everything through in a way that speaks right to your heart. If we're meant to work together, you know, for some people, maybe it's not the same, but I think for those that I'm meant to work with, my guides speak right through to their heart. So that, that part I agree with. Yes, I'm a very clear channel and speak very succinctly. In terms of normal conversation, I kid you not, like, I have three people that I'm closest to in the entire world, and all three of them are like, okay, 
I'm going to ask you a question now. It's a question where we need a quick answer. Uh, so I get that you're going to want to talk around it. I guarantee you there will be stories involved. However, I need an answer to this question in the next five. Are you in this with me? And then I can say, yeah, okay, I'm in it. <laughs> Doesn't happen 90% of the time. But I am making an effort to answer questions more quickly. So I think the reason why you feel like I'm so clear is that we have this hour and a half to spend together and I can talk around the question until I'm blue in the face and then maybe eventually answer it at the end. And that's okay. But I think in normal life circumstances, like you're just trying to get the grocery store trip done. I know your not- type. I'm, I'm in a relationship <laughs> with your type. I'm like, let's land the plane. What are you saying? What's the answer here? Okay. <laughs> I need a yes. I need a no. I need the short version. I'm <laughs> I, I know your type. I get it. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what it is. And, and I say this, um, it's I just, say this it, somewhat it's statistically. Like a, it's a different, it's a different, so there's, there's high level and then there's like very yeah. detailed talkers and I have yeah. clients that are the same way, you know, yeah. some of them like, I will get very long answers for things. And I, mm-hmm. I learn this very quickly, um, usually. And then some of them are very direct and there's just not a lot more to it. You know, yeah. we're just, we're I mean, all like, we're all very different. Yeah, I say this a tag, a tad egotistically, and this may be the same for your partner too, but I have a lot of knowledge in here. There are like four degrees, all the stuff from four degrees, like circulating in my brain. Like the fact that I can get to talk at all sometimes feels miraculous because I'm having like millions of thoughts at the same time. Plus my guides are channeling. I was just so, going to say, plus your guides. There's a lot going on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. And I, I really enjoy sharing it with those who love me enough to deal with the long-winded answer. Yeah. 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 Did you, okay, so um, side question, you said mm-hmm. you're a manifester, is that human design manifester or are you just, okay. Yeah. I thought so. Not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to jump into the lightning round now, which means short okay. answers. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. I'm just giving you a hard time. Okay. okay. First question. Um, what is the number one habit you can't live without? Oh, I mean, I want to say my spiritual practice when I don't do my spiritual practice in the morning, I have a much less good day. However, I'm going to be very honest and share with you that I am hopelessly addicted to the real housewives of Orange County (laughs) and the show has started up again. And apparently they're going to show what it's like for them in quarantine. And I can't wait. I just, it's like, I, it's an addiction. It really is. And it's a stu- like, I, I get that it's absurd that I enjoy it so much, but I think we all need to have some guilty pleasures in our lives, especially right now. So that, that I would say that honestly, I'd love to say my spiritual practice. It's also something I can't live without, but on a human level, those are real housewives. <laughs> I love Fantastic. that. Yeah. <laughs> My last guest said sex, so it's all good. Oh, okay. Whatever comes. All right. <laughs> Number two, what does spiritual spirituality mean for you? 
Ooh, that's a great one. Spirituality for me means getting in touch with whatever works for you. So I spent so many years searching for what worked for me. I tried literally everything. And what works best for me is to, to do some meditation and channel my guides. And so that's what I do. I think everybody needs to find what works for them. Agreed. Agreed. Number three, what is your advice to anyone who's looking to find purpose? (laughs) Well, um, my first piece of advice would be to clear out all the trauma that you have stored up in there. And I say everybody has trauma because they do. And I don't think that you can really get clear about your purpose until that happens. So for a lot, and I'm sorry, this is going to be a long-winded answer, but it's important. Um, for a lot of us, it, it, you know, our, our purpose is kind of tied in with whatever happened to us in terms of trauma. And people realize once they start healing trauma that actually they have so many different purposes. It doesn't need to be just one thing. They have so many different purposes and there are so many avenues open to them once they're able to heal, heal and clear all of this trauma. And so I would say to people who are looking for their purpose, that's step number one, because then you're going to have so many more avenues open. And step number two would be, please book a session with me and let's chat about it and, and channel the guides to figure it out. Oftentimes the guides can give really quick answers. Sometimes they're longer answers and there are multiple steps like, you know, work with this channel to heal trauma and then uh, take a few classes in this and see how you feel. Sometimes it's real quick and easy. If they're a light worker, it's usually really quick and easy. If they do something different, it's usually a little bit longer and there are some steps involved, but we'll get there. It's important. It's your whole life. You know, we have these 80 or so years to do, to do things with. And it's really important that you find not one thing, but multiple things that you feel passionate about that light you up. Yeah. 80 years if, if we're so blessed, right? Right. <laughs> Such a yeah. privilege to get older. It really is. Um, and last question. It's a big one. Okay. I'm where ready. Can, where can people connect with you online? <laughs> oh, that's an easy one. Um, you can find me at adelineeast.com. I'm, I feel pretty confident Anna will link to it in the show notes. She's good like that. And um, I, you can find me on Instagram at Adelina East. My name is spelled A-D-A-L-I-N-A, East like the direction. Or connect with me on Facebook at Adelina Healing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Adelina, and, and you. being flexible with your schedule as well. <laughs> of course. Thank you. It's been such a I pleasure. Such a pleasure. I'm honored. Thank you, Anna. All right, folks, that wraps up today's episode. And now I'm curious to hear, what did you learn today? Head over to the website by clicking the link in the show notes and share your feedback or find us on social media at soul-driven dot, wait, at soul-driven podcast. I'd love to hear from you. If you were inspired by today's interview, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. Don't forget to sign up for the email list. And last but not least, please remember, when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. Until next week.